Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. I encourage you to have those passages uh, open in front of you that Philip read for us. Bit of a sword drill lately. We're not landed specifically so much in one passage uh, in this Advent series, but uh, we're, we're kind of going in a lot of places. Um, hopefully, the, the, the focus, though, is, is there, and you can see uh, where we're going and where we're heading. Uh, our goal is to, as they say, not lose the forest uh, for the trees. Have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever sort of missed the forest for the trees? I know I've done it on many occasions. I can remember uh, several years ago uh, at a church that we were a part of in Arizona, I had uh, made a new friend, and we were going to connect by email, so he gave me his email address one Sunday, and I wrote it down just like he said. His first name, underscore his last name, John underscore Doe, or whatever it was, probably at Netgear, at uh, uh, Net Zero or something back then in those days. You know, nobody had cell phones, and email was a little bit of a new thing. And so I had to email him during the week and came back next Sunday. He said, hey, I didn't get your email. Did you email me? I said, yeah, I emailed you. I'll try it again. Uh, you know, just confirmed the email address, John, uh, dot, John underscore Doe at such and such. Okay, I got it. Wrote it down. There it is. Um, emailed him again that week, and he didn't get it. Next Sunday, you didn't get my email. What's going on? And I was like, hey, I don't know. I wrote your email address down just like you told me. Here, here it is. I had the piece of paper. Look, John underscore Doe at whatever it was, and he started to laugh at me because I had spelled out the word underscore. I literally wrote John, U-N-D-E-R-S-C-O-R-E, Doe, at whatever. I was, I was a little too focused. I was a little bit too, I know, you're too focused on the trees, and I missed the big picture. Well, we're trying to avoid that uh, as we go through Scripture and in this Advent series. And Christmas time. Remembering Jesus coming is a great time to get a picture of, of the forest, of the landscape, of the beauty of the forest and the valley and the mountains and all that we see in Scripture as we watch God's unfolding plan of redemption uh, unfold for us, the, His plan of salvation unfold for us as we begin in Genesis and move toward the coming of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension because that is the thing that stands at the very center not only of Scripture but of all of human history and all of what we might call salvation history, God's unfolding plan of redemption for, for not just us but for the cosmos because everything that happens after Jesus' coming happens in light of and because of his coming. And everything that we read about in Scripture that occurred before his coming leads up to and points to Jesus Christ. And so we began our Advent series looking at the first hint of Jesus coming in the Bible. In Genesis 3.15, after God had made all things and made them good and made human beings to live as his representatives in relationship with him, in, in covenant fellowship with him, uh, they... They fell, and they, and they rebelled, and they, they sought their own way, and that, that, that caused them to be alienated from God, and that caused a curse on creation. But even as God was pronouncing that curse, the first hint of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, that a seed of the woman, a specific descendant of the woman, would crush the serpent's head. 
would score a decisive victory for God and his purposes, and that a redeemer would come and put all things right and redeem a people for himself. Just the first hint of that in Genesis 3.15. And then last week, we saw as, as the unfolding plan of God's redemptive purposes begins to unfold that there, there are many nations, and they don't seem to really give a rip about who God is, who their creator is. They want to they build a name for themselves, and yet God, out of one of those nations, calls a man who was not previously a worshiper of the true God, calls him to himself. His name is Abraham, and he makes a promise that through you, Abraham, I am going to bless all the nations. I'm going to create a specific nation through which my redemptive purposes are going to come to the world, through which that seed, that redeemer is going to come through you. And I'm making covenant promises to you, to bless you, uh, to make you a great people, and that that people will occupy a specific land where I will unfold my purposes to them as well. Well, this morning we're going to keep on going a few more chapters into God's unfolding plan of redemption, and we're going to come to the character of Moses. And now Moses shows up about four or 500 years after Abraham. God has fulfilled some of those great promises uh, to Abraham to, to make him a great people. And yet that great people is enslaved and they, they, need, they need someone to lead them out. And God chooses Moses. And Moses is a, is a unique character in Scripture, really unparalleled in many ways. But his greatness, his uniqueness, the the special character that he is, is all for the purpose of pointing forward to Jesus Christ. We're going to note in today's scriptures that that Moses uh, was this unique combination of a prophet and a priest and a king, like the world has never seen. That scripture that was read before, someone like him has never arisen before. But in observing the roles and the offices of Moses as prophet, priest, and king, we see glimpses of the redemptive offices of Jesus as the great prophet, as the great priest, and as the great king. And we see that Jesus' mission is bound up in him being our perfect prophet, priest, and king. John Calvin said that that we really... We really can't fully understand the purposes of Christ nor what he has done for us without understanding his offices as prophet, priest, and king. So our aim this morning is to observe from Scripture how Moses carried out those offices so that we might worship Jesus as our true prophet and our true priest and our true king that we might embrace him again by faith during this Advent season, that we might lift up our voices, lift up our very lives and worship to him. Uh, Many, many years ago, Jonathan Edwards, the the great American theologian and and pastor, uh, preached a sermon on the excellency of Christ in which he said that there there is in Christ an, an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. I love that. In Jesus... There is this coming together of of diverse, of different excellencies that are praiseworthy. He's a prophet. He's a great priest. He's our great king. And so let's look to see our need for a prophet and a priest and a king and see how that is meant in Jesus and observe it 
as a picture of Jesus in the person and the life of Moses. So let's begin by looking at Moses the prophet. Now, first of all, prophet. What is a prophet? Well, a prophet is, is a spokesperson for God. Very simple. God wants to communicate something to his people. He does it through a prophet. We see prophets all throughout Scripture. They're sort of the, the chief information officer for God. Abraham was called a prophet. In fact, God called him, identified him as a prophet in Genesis 20, verse 7. But now here we are some four or five hundred years later, and we don't really read about a prophet uh, in, that, in that intervening time. God communicated, certainly. God revealed himself to the patriarchs, to Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph, uh, but he did so through dreams and visions and things like that, and, and people weren't hearing God's voice and hadn't heard God's voice speak directly until Moses. And as was read earlier, it says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as it were, as a man speaks to his friend. Absolutely unique, unparalleled in God's revelation of himself. And we see that even though you remember Moses was a rather reluctant mouthpiece for God in that whole burning bush incident, and he sees the bush is burning, he's out doing his shepherd thing, and yet it's not being consumed. He wants to figure out what's going on. He hears God's voice, hears the call of God, and God says, I'm going to send you to, to, to help set my people free and be my guy. And Moses is reluctant, and yet when he finally gets around doing, to doing it, He's a very powerful spokesman for God, a very powerful prophet. He's called to warn Pharaoh, probably the most powerful person on the planet at that time. But as a prophet, Moses was also called to communicate God's will to to the Israelites, to God's people, encouraging them to trust in the Lord, trust in the God of your fathers, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And through Moses... Uh, the people received the Ten Commandments and in all of God's law. In fact, through Moses the prophet, we have the first five books of the Bible, which eventually Moses wrote down for us. And as uh, Philip read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says that there has not risen a prophet since Moses, like Moses in Israel, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him. All the signs and the wonders that the Lord did through him in in delivering the people out of Egypt, there has not risen, Scripture says, a prophet like Moses. And yet, as that passage from Deuteronomy chapter 18 said, God was promising to send an even greater prophet. Listen again to those words from Deuteronomy 18, beginning at verse 15. The Lord your God, Moses speaking here, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers, and it is to him that you shall listen. And then Moses talks about how when God revealed himself at Mount Horeb, the people said, Moses, we don't want to hear God's voice, the thunder and the lightning, it's scary. You just, you just talk to us because we can't handle it coming directly from God. And God says, you know what? They, they really were right. They couldn't handle it. And unholy people could not handle the word of God coming directly to them. They need some kind of mediator. They need some kind of new and greater prophet. And God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among your brothers, and I will put my words 
directly in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Remember how God told the people of Israel as they're wandering through the wilderness, making their way to the promised land? Remember how God gave them manna to eat? And yet God said, don't miss the forest for the trees, folks. It's not about manna. Man doesn't live by bread alone, God said, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Moses' role as a prophet was to remind God's people that what ultimately sustains us is not bread or food, but every word, every communication from our God. And so in in giving the people bread, manna, giving them the bread of life through God's word, Moses is a picture of who Jesus would be. Remember Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Listen to to when Jesus said that. Jesus is recorded in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 48. Jesus was talking to some folks who, who were big fans of Moses. Do you remember the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? I mean... Moses was their boy. I mean, they loved him. He was their hero. And Jesus says to those guys, listen, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and guess what? They're dead now. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Manna came down from heaven physically. Jesus said, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. Not not that stuff that you eat, but this is bread that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he or she will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world, Jesus says, is my flesh. What made Jesus a prophet greater than Moses? Jesus says, I came down from heaven. Jesus took on flesh. And he says to us, I am am the bread of life, the true bread that's come down from heaven. I've come to give of of my flesh for your redemption. Amazing picture of Jesus, of Christ in Scripture, in the Old Testament. I think that Christmas time is a great time for us to read our Bibles through Jesus-colored lenses. Our focus is on Christ. Our focus is on his coming during Advent season. And there are not only so many scriptures in in the Bible that directly predict Jesus' coming, that he'd be born in, in Bethlehem, that he'd be from the tribe of Judah, all those specific prophecies, but there are also these wonderful pictures and images and what the book of Hebrews calls shadows. Think about what a shadow is. You, you, see a, you see a person's shadow. I can see my shadow here. It, it tells you something about me. I have two arms and two legs and a head. You kind of get the picture. But when the reality comes, then the shadow is filled out. But there are shadows of Jesus. There are pictures and images of him in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament as we move toward his coming in Advent, in the storyline of the Bible. Now, there's, there are artificial ways of doing that. You can read the story of Noah and say, oh yeah, the ark was made out of wood, Jesus died on a cross of wood, look, there's a connection. Or the, the ark, they, they, they walked out of the side, Jesus was 
Pearson, that's a little bit artificial. Yet, I mean, we need to read Scripture understanding, first of all, what it meant to its original hearers. And yet, we can't pretend, once you've read the whole story, you can't go back to the Old Testament and pretend you don't know Jesus is coming and you don't know the, 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 the circumstances of his life and you don't know that he, that he said, I am the bread of life, even as you're reading about manna in Deuteronomy. It's sort of like when you've seen a movie that's very suspenseful or sort of a mystery thriller that kind of comes together at the end. And then you go back and watch the movie again. You can't ever pretend like you haven't seen the movie before. And you're like, oh, now I see what's going. When she said that, yeah, I can see where that's going. And when that happens, I can see what that's sort of prefiguring. See, the Bible is that way. Again, it points all toward Jesus, and everything that happens happens in light of Jesus. So once we've read the entire story and we go back and reread it again, it just fills out in the fullness of God's redemptive plan and His Son is there for us. Every passage of Scripture either predicts or prepares for Jesus, predicts His coming, prepares for it, reflects Him, or results from His person and work. And we see that as we observe the life of Moses and his role, his office as God's prophet, through whom the word comes to God's people. It points forward to the coming, to the advent of Jesus, who is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. Well, Moses was a great prophet. And he was also a priest. And prophet and priest are kind of the reverse of one another. A prophet receives God's word and speaks to the people on behalf of God. But a priest, a priest goes to God on behalf of the people. A priest brings the, the, the concerns and the needs of the people to God. He, he, is, a, he is a mediator. He is an, Im, Im, uh, an intermediary, an advocate for the people. And the priestly office was, you could say, in Moses' blood. He was from the tribe of Levite, and God had designated the Levites as the priesthood. Remember, Moses' brother Aaron was, in fact, the first high priest in Israel. And even through marriage, there was sort of a priestly connection. Now, Jethro uh, was, was Moses' uh, father-in-law, and, and apparently not only was he a sort of a, a nomadic shepherd and even kind of a chief out in Midian, but he seemed to have been some kind of priest, and even a priest of the, of the true God to the extent that he knew who the true God was. And we see Moses carrying out his priestly role, his role of, of acting on behalf of the people before God. And we see in the wanderings of the people through the desert that, um, that there was a tent of meeting that was set up outside of the camp. And Moses would go to the tent of, the, of meeting, and he would meet, he would speak with God, as it were, face to face. He would present the needs and the concerns of the people to, to God. People could come to him and say, God, or say, Moses, could you ask of God this for me? And so in Moses, we see the pattern for the priesthood being set and what would later become the tabernacle, where God would dwell in his, with his presence, and then later the temple where the priesthood would serve the people. And in this pattern, we see that, the, that lessons are being taught to the people, that, that there is a way of access, 
that people are separated by their sin from a holy God, but there is a way to access for sinful people to approach a holy God. There is someone who can plead for mercy on behalf of guilty people. God will listen to an advocate. He will receive a mediator. And friends, Christmas is a fresh reminder to us that we all need a mediator. Someone who has direct access to our Creator, whom we have offended and from whom we have been alienated. Someone who will plead our case, who will put a good word in for us, who can bridge the the Grand Canyon-sized chasm between a holy God and self-centered, self-focused human beings like us. Listen again to those words from Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider what about Jesus? That he is the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just like Moses, acting as a priest, also was faithful for God's house or God's people. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has than the honor of the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, or a bondservant, or a slave, to testify of the things that were spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over all of God's house as a son. You see, see the greater, the lesser to the greater then? Moses as a servant, but Jesus faithful as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. Friends, as we sang, Jesus was pleased as man with men to dwell. He was pleased as a human being to live among humanity as one of us. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Never forget what that title of Jesus means. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Several years ago, I heard a man tell a story about uh, an amazing day in his life where as a child, he got to meet his boyhood hero who was a great professional baseball player. And apparently, this guy's dad knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew the ball player. And so he arranged for him to meet him after the game. And after the game, uh, this, this, this guy is just a boy, got to meet his hero face to face and shake his hand and get his autograph. And then to his utter astonishment, uh, the, the hero said to the boy, well, would you like to come into the locker room and meet the rest of the team and, and, and see a major league locker room? And you can imagine, the kid was, he was floored. What an amazing experience, something you would never think you would ever have the possibility to do, to to really come into the inner sanctum of your hero. And so he got to meet, not just his hero, but he met all the ballplayers on the team. There they were, and he was right there among them. And he related later on 
that as he thought about that experience, he thought, you know what? I had no business being in that room. My name wasn't on any of the lockers. I wasn't a major league baseball player. I wasn't even a good little league ball player. I was just a kid. I didn't belong. But if anyone in that room would have said to me, hey, what are you doing here? Why are you here? You, you don't belong here. You, you should leave. All I would have had to done is turned and pointed to my hero and said, I'm with him. And all he would have had to say is, he's with me. Friends, that is the privilege that God's people have with our hero, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession and pleading our case. When we are in time of need, all we have to do is say to God the Father, I'm with him. I'm with my hero, Jesus. And Jesus will gladly say to, to about all of his people, all who are trusting in him, he or she is with me. They're with me. Listen to how Paul describes this reality. This is a reality for all of God's children in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive, here's the key, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Most beautiful words in all of Scripture. By grace you have been saved. Not of your effort. Gift of God. And you have been raised up with Jesus. And here it is. And you, believer, have been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places right now. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us who are in Christ, united to Jesus through faith. So Jesus truly is our Emmanuel. He is God with us, and we are with him, as it were, already in the heavenly places. Does that blow your mind? It should, because I, I can't imagine anyone wrapping their minds around this. Here we are walking around on planet Earth, but Scripture says that if you are one of God's children, if you are trusting in Jesus, it's as if you're seated with him in the presence of God. And there is our Emmanuel, our great high priest, who, Scripture says, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Anybody here have a weakness or two? Yeah. If you raised your hand, that's a good thing. Because we need to admit that we don't have it together. Our high priest... You know, sometimes you go to, go to a pastor, you talk to a counselor or an elder or something, you're like... I don't know if they get me. They, they seem to have it all together. This is about Jesus, our high priest. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was, he was made like us. He took on flesh. That's Christmas, folks. Incarnation, he became like us so he could sympathize with all the weaknesses that we have so that we could come to him, we could call on him, and he would, he would make intercession before the throne of grace. 
pleading our case as our great high priest. And if that is the case, how should we approach him? Scripture says we should, we should boldly approach the throne of grace. Pray with confidence, knowing that we will receive mercy from such a merciful God. Christ's priestly office, prefigured in the life of Moses, tells us that we have an advocate. We have a great high priest. Finally, Moses is a prefigure, is a glimpse at Jesus' kingly office. A lot more on this next week when we focus in on Jesus as the descendant of David, as the, as the true Messiah. But we see it already here in the life of Moses. And even though Scripture never calls Moses a king, he clearly is commander-in-chief of the nation of Israel, newly constituted. And he has sort of kingly royal connections. I mean, he was raised in the palace, right? Prince of Egypt. And even his father-in-law, again, don't know too much about this guy other than he's got a really cool name, Jethro. Uh, but apparently he was some kind of local chief shepherd guy in, in the area of Midian and, and kind of a, a priest himself, but, but, but a chief and a leader. And his name might even mean something like preeminent. And so there, there are some royal connections with Moses. But more importantly, God chose Moses to lead the deliverance of his people from their captors and to lead them into the promised land. Remember again, God's covenant to Abraham was the specifics of, Abraham, your descendants are going to become a great numerous people and they're going to occupy this particular land where I'm going to make them a great nation. Well, half of that has been fulfilled and keeps being fulfilled because the Israelites had grown populous during their time in Egypt. But the other half is, is far from being true because they're not in the promised land and they're in captivity. They are basically the slaves of the Egyptians. And the story of Moses begins early on uh, with a failed attempt, if you remember, to lead the people. Moses grew up, uh, was a Hebrew, uh, was protected through the wisdom of his, his mom, uh, found as a baby by the princess, raised in the royal family of the pharaohs there in Egypt, but he's, he's kind of, he's conflicted because he's a Hebrew. His people are enslaved. You remember the story where he sees a Hebrew, a taskmaster, uh, or an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his, his uh, fellow Hebrew slaves, and uh, Moses kills the guy. So there's some, there's, there's good and there's bad in there, right? There's the good in that he wants, he, he feels this inclination to help lead his people and, and set them free, but the, the way he's going about it isn't yet God's way. And then you, re, you remember that shortly after that, Moses saw two of his brothers, two Hebrew slaves, arguing with one another, and, and he wanted, to, he wanted to, to, to settle that argument and say, why should you guys be arguing your brothers? And the one said, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me like you killed the, the Egyptian the other day? And now Moses is in trouble times two because, you know, first of all, his fellow Israelites are not seeing him as the great leader that he thinks he's, he's going to be. And secondly, he's in trouble because he murdered a guy. And so you remember he flees. He flees to the land of Midian 
and apparently he's just going to quietly retire, start a family, and be a shepherd there in Midian. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, we read in chapter 2 of Exodus this, that the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out to God for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And listen, listen to what God, it says about God. People need help. They cry out for rescue to God. And the text says that God heard their groaning, that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and that God saw the people. And God knew. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. And that's when God called Moses out of retirement. Eighty years old, shepherd, the burning bush incident that I mentioned earlier. Moses is a reluctant leader of God's people, and yet God powerfully used Moses. You remember, he was the one who had to go and speak to Pharaoh and warn him that these Plagues are coming one after the other. Nine plagues, all directed at the uh, gods of Egypt. Every one of them taking on the gods of Egypt head to head. And and Moses is, is warning Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is hardening his heart, and God is hardening his heart, and he just won't let, he won't, whoa, whoa, let my people go, right? And then the warning of the final plague, the tenth plague the death of the firstborn. And Moses warns Pharaoh that God will take his firstborn unless he lets the people go. Unless, as God said it, you let my firstborn, my firstborn Israel, the nation of Israel, unless you let them go to worship me, it's going to cost you your firstborn. And yet, in the midst of great warning and judgment, God demonstrates great grace. He institutes the Passover, the first Passover, that is. Because this is going to affect not just the Egyptians, but the Israelites as well. But they can be protected. Their firstborn can be protected at the cost of a lamb. If they're willing to shed the blood of a spotless, perfect lamb, paint that blood around their door as if to say, we are covered by the blood of the lamb. It is the blood of the lamb that will protect our home, that the blood of the lamb that will protect us from death. Then God would indeed pass over that home. And there would indeed be deliverance for those who live there. And so God does. God delivers his people out of Egypt with, with a mighty arm and, or with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm through the leadership of Moses. And so Moses is forever known as the great liberator, the great deliverer, uh, the model or ideal for leadership, sort of a, a, a George Washington of his country. And the exodus the the exiting of the Israelites 
from slavery in Egypt with with the crossing of the Red Sea and and all of that becomes the great salvation event of, of the Old Testament story. The great salvation event until the arrival of the child born in Bethlehem. Who, it says, and who the wise men understood was born to be king of the Jews. And if you read the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll, you'll see glimpses there that the writers portray Jesus as the new and greater Moses. Take the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Moses went up on a mountain to receive God's law, God's Ten Commandments. Jesus went up on a mountain to make comment on those commandments and drill down deeper into the heart of the Ten Commandments. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And then there's that incredible scene recorded in Luke chapter 9 as well as other places where Jesus is again on a mountain. He's with the inner circle of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And two men, it says, appear to him with him. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah. And they're appearing there in glory on that mountain, and they're having a conversation with Jesus. And what would Moses be talking to Jesus about? Well, it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, that they appeared in glory and spoke with Jesus about his departure. Only the word there, it means departure, but the word there is literally about his exodus. Jesus is about to have his own exodus. He's going to exit this world. He's going to go back to the right hand of the Father. That's his exodus. He's leaving. But that won't happen until he goes to the cross where he will create an exodus for all of God's people, for all of those who are bound in slavery to sin. Jesus, through his death, is going to accomplish a great exodus by being the Passover lamb. His blood shed so that all who look to to the blood of the perfect lamb will not taste death, but know eternal life. Jesus, the firstborn, is going to offer his life so that we can become, as it were, the, the, the royal children of God. Jesus' mission will be the new and greater exodus. He will lead his people. He will free them from their captors. He will, he will liberate them from sin. Because God hears the groaning of humanity. He remembers his promises to us. He has seen our suffering. He knows what to do. It will cost him his firstborn, who is the Passover lamb, the final Passover lamb. You see, Moses only instructed the people about the Passover lamb, but Jesus was the Passover lamb. His blood. Why Charles Wesley wrote in the Christmas hymn about the long-expected Jesus, that he was born to set his people free, the language of liberation, 
free from our fears and sins to release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Jesus, you were born thy people to deliver a greater deliverance. Born a child, yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now, Lord, your gracious kingdom bring. You see, we, we keep coming back. We keep coming back to the cross. You know, we, we get to Christmas and we, you know, we want to talk about mangers and stables and wise men and shepherds. And, but we can't ever do that without coming back to the purpose for which Jesus came. We, we can't talk about Christmas without coming back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle John wrote in his gospel that the law was given through Moses. Moses was the great lawgiver, but it was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, this is what makes Moses greater than, this is what makes Jesus greater than Moses. Moses gave humanity the law of God, which is a wonderful thing. The scripture says the law is good, it's perfect, it's a reflection of God's holy and perfect character. And Moses had the privilege of that was disseminated to him and he gave it. But the law, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, it, it can only bring condemnation. Jesus, Jesus, he came himself. He was made to be one of us. He took on flesh. And so Jesus came bringing grace and truth. And the result is not condemnation, but liberation. Being set free from our fears, from our sins being released. And that, friends, is the reason for our joy. It's the theme of our worship this morning. Released captives, you know what they do? They sing. They sing for joy. Listen to the song of Moses recorded in Exodus 15. This is right after the people of Israel have been delivered by God, mighty hand, outstretched arm, free, free at last, on the other side of the Jordan. And they sing. They sing, this is the song of Moses. I will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. This is my Father's God. I will exalt him. Who is like you? O Lord among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in doing wonders. That's the song of Moses when the people were delivered, crossed over the Red Sea. Fast forward to the book of Revelation. What is the song that God's redeemed people sing before him and before the Lamb? Revelation 15 says, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. It's one and the same song. 
the song of Moses, and the song of Jesus the Lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come to you and worship you. For you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God is revealing to us his righteous acts in the person of Jesus. Moses was a great prophet. He was a great priest. He was a great king. But all of that points to the greater office that Jesus brings us, our true prophet, our true priest, our true king, whom we worship today with great joy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, indeed, great and amazing are your deeds. You are Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Lord, we join our hearts together to worship you today. Thank you for revealing more and more of your purposes through Jesus, our great Redeemer, the one who brings joy to the world, the one of whom heaven and nature sing. Amen. For joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H Bible.org.